coming up this evening on NTD Business. The state of New York lifting its mask or vaccine mandate for most indoor businesses today. What do the governors say is the reason? Amazon's making a big move into the healthcare space by expanding its telehealth services nationwide. What's it good for and what difficulty does one expert say the industry still faces? And foreign buyers are piling into commercial real estate in America, spending more than even before the pandemic. So where are the investment opportunities? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Masks and vaccines will no longer be required at indoor businesses starting as soon as tomorrow. Well, in New York State at least. Here's New York Governor Kathy Hochul today announcing the news. And at this time, we say that it is the right decision to lift this mandate for indoor businesses and let counties, cities, and businesses to make their own decisions on what they want to do with respect to masks or the vaccination requirement. The governor says it's because the Omicron wave has already peaked. But the CDC isn't as optimistic. It's not yet ready to relax its guidance on masking. Hochul said the change in New York's policy probably won't affect places with federal mask mandates like public transportation. She also said the state will review student-related data next month before making a decision on whether to keep the mask mandate in schools. And top car makers Ford and GM have a big warning for dealers who charge more than the sticker price. They say stop charging customers so much or else. That or else could mean losing out on future models. It used to be rare for dealers to charge more, but that changed last year when the chip shortage started eating into inventory. Data from Edmund shows that in 2019, before the pandemic, less than 1% of cars sold above their sticker price. That number has skyrocketed. In January of this year, over 80% of car sales in the United States went for more, 80%. And while dealers don't have to stick to the suggested pricing, that has been the norm. With their warnings to cut future supplies of the most sought-after models, though it seems GM and Ford want to make sure things stay that way. First it was e-commerce, then cloud computing, movies, video games, now telehealth. Amazon is expanding its telehealth services nationwide. It's even bringing its in-person health services to 20 new American cities. Anthony's Christina Kim has more on that. Amazon wants to expand its telehealth service, Amazon Care, nationwide. And it wants to expand its in-person care services to 20 more cities, including New York City, San Francisco, and Miami. There's an app that you download that uh, connects you with the providers, asks you a series of questions about, you know, what are your symptoms, et cetera, and then actually connects you with a person that uh, you can have a conversation with. Steve Anderson is the author of The Bezos Letters. Anderson says Amazon has been working on this for a long time, and this is their latest iteration. During COVID, uh, one of the bright spots has been uh, the development of and spread of use of telemedicine. Frank Contessa is an internist at Northwell Health Physician Partners. Contessa says telehealth works for some things, but not everything. I find it useful for 
things like a rash where I can visibly see it on a video call or pink eye, you know, people can lean into the camera and show me their eye um, or adjusting medications for people. But other things are better in person, such as abdominal pain and earaches. They're lower cost for part of the system. So it'll be less expensive to talk to a doctor or a nurse practitioner. It'll be less expensive to get the prescription ordered. It might even be less expensive to get the prescription. David Berg is the president of Redirect Health. Berg says lower costs aren't the hard part. The hard part is giving people the full end-to-end health care package with appropriate cost and urgency. Currently, Amazon Care provides services including COVID testing, vaccinations, injury treatment, and prescription requests. Christina Kim, NTD News. Home buyer's sentiment, how Americans are feeling about the housing market. This month, it's a tale of two sides. A record number of home buyers say now is not a good time to buy a house. Prices are up almost 20% in the last year alone. But on the flip side, a record number of respondents say now is a good time to sell. Insights come from state mortgage giant Fannie Mae. Big question is, will prices keep rising? There's still quite a few, quite, there are still a few houses on the market that's keeping prices high. But mortgage demand has fallen off recently as interest rates start to rise. Rates could go even higher as the Federal Reserve plans to raise them to fight historically high inflation. Big changes may be coming for the space in 2022. Joining us to discuss the housing market is Aaron Van Trojan of Geneva Financial. Aaron is the CEO, and Geneva is an award-winning mortgage company with over 800 employees. Aaron, great to see you again. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Aaron, I think you have a pretty good real-time view of what's happening in the housing market with mortgage applications, et cetera, and your sales team. How do you feel the the health of the, the market is at the moment generally? I think the health of the housing industry right now is still very strong. There's still a lot of demand, uh, limited inventory. Uh, The health of the mortgage industry is not nearly as good as the health of the housing market. So those are two completely different things right now. So is it the rates, rising rates, that are affecting the mortgage market? Yeah, and it shouldn't have caught anybody off guard. I mean, this is something we anticipated in 2021 uh, to have happen, margin compression due to rising rates, but the uh, Delta strain kind of threw us back into a a pandemic that caused additional problems. So the Fed decided to keep interest rates low and suppress those rates for uh, all of 2021. Well, they've changed their stance because of uh, the, the fear of inflation, what we're seeing, uh, no longer being transitory, looks like it might be more long-term. And so they've gotten very aggressive on uh, their, their rate policy. Uh, they haven't made any changes yet, but just you know, threatening to make a, up to seven you know, rate hikes this year and then stopping the purchase of, of, of mortgage-backed securities has sent interest rates much, much higher in the beginning of this year. Um, which is disruptive to the mortgage industry. Like you mentioned, rates have gone up a little. The Fed hasn't even moved yet. Speaking with your colleagues, has this dampened demand among prospective homeowners? Are they looking and saying, oh, it's gone up even a little bit. I don't want to buy the home anymore. You know, 
I, I think that there was there there it created initially it created some urgencies for people to actually get out there and try to buy a house that the people that were in the market so they know the interest rates are going up it's loud and clear it's being talked about on all the news programs and so there I, I think it probably created a little bit of urgency but there's a whole segment of the population that already thinks that home prices are too high and likely are going to pull back. And so I think there's a lot of home buyers, prospective home buyers that were there six months, a year ago that aren't there right now. They're sitting on the sidelines, kind of waiting for the dust to settle and to see where this is going to come out. I know the feeling. Aaron Van Trojan, Geneva Financial. Appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. And foreign investors are joining American ones, focusing more on commercial property like warehouses and rental apartments. In fact, foreign investment in American commercial real estate has topped pre-pandemic levels. Didis Khan Fredrickson has the details. Foreign money is flooding into commercial real estate in the United States, even surpassing pre-pandemic levels. According to Real Capital Analytics, Pensions and other foreign institutions purchased about $70 billion of U.S. commercial real estate in 2021. That was the highest number since 2018. Now we're seeing a lot of foreign investment definitely following the trend of warehouses. Jason Keyes is the principal broker at Keyes Commercial. He says this trend is mainly due to the e-commerce boom in the post-pandemic age. Businesses need warehouses for stocking products because of the supply chain constraints. Even in my own transactions, in just in the last three to six months, we've leased up all the available warehouse space we have. U.S. commercial property sales broke a record last year, partly thanks to foreign investment. Before the pandemic, foreign buyers focused more on office buildings and hotels in major cities like New York. But starting in 2021, overseas money rushed into warehouses, rental apartments, and specialized buildings for pharmaceutical businesses. Co-host of The Real Estate Guys radio show, Russell Gray, says right now you can't do much better than U.S. real estate. If you look at the sectors they're going into, apartments, bread and butter real estate, uh, distribution, warehousing, bread and butter real estate, and pharmaceutical companies, which makes a lot of sense. We're in the middle of a pandemic and the pharmaceutical sector is booming. So what the numbers are telling us is that capital feels safe in U.S. real estate. Experts think more types of commercial property will be included in this year's buying spree, like student housing, data centers, and medical office buildings. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Now, Wall Street jumped today, putting the market further into the green for the week. The Dow rose 305 points, about nine-tenths of a percent. S&P 500 gained 66 points, one about half, one and a half percent. The Nasdaq today climbed 296 points, more than 2% for the day. And stock trading by members of Congress. It's in the spotlight again. Today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she supports tougher restrictions on lawmakers trading stocks. Here she is at a press conference today. We have to tighten the fines on those who violate the Stock Act. It's obviously not sufficient to deter behavior. The Stock Act she was referring to is a 2012 law. It bans members, of, and, members and employees of Congress from, quote, using non-public information derived from their official positions to inform their stock trading. 55 members of Congress have violated the law, according to an investigation by Business Insider. But a watchdog group says penalties are often minimal. 
For example, fines for a first-time violator start at $200. Now, some lawmakers are proposing banning members of, from trading stocks altogether, but others say members should be allowed to invest in stock funds, just not individual stocks. Pelosi didn't indicate support for any tweaks to the Stock Act. And Congress is still debating if and how to regulate the new technology that is cryptocurrency or blockchain. Yesterday, there was a hearing about stablecoins. They are cryptocurrencies that are supposedly backed by something tangible like the dollar or gold. You can, in principle, swap your crypto, your stablecoin for a tangible asset at any time. Some are calling for tighter regulation in this space, though, to protect consumers from scams. Private stablecoin issuers have been accused of scams in the past. Recent report from the Treasury Department calling for only allowing a limited number of certified institutions to issue those stablecoins. That plan, though, was challenged by some lawmakers in the House yesterday. Rep. Gregory Meeks from New York said that could limit competition in a way that's discriminatory. Another New York Democrat said common sense rules were a better idea than regulation. So joining us to discuss all things crypto is Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida. Donalds sits on the House Budget Committee and the House Committee on Small Business. Congressman, pleasure. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Congressman, Florida, especially Miami, Florida, is going to be the crypto capital, not just of America, but of the entire world, it seems. We have New York City gunning for it, too. Why, in your eyes, the buzz around cryptocurrency and the blockchain? Well, look, I think this is really the wave of the future. When it comes to an ability for people to be able to have and hold assets and to be able to transmit them up, frank, frankly, freely, also in order to have something like the blockchain, which actually keeps a consistent ledger that cannot be faked, it cannot be defrauded, it cannot be messed with. I think it provides a security of assets, security of value for people, and I think it's here to stay and it's only going to grow from here. We see the Federal Reserve coming out with their own cryptocurrency or central bank digital currency. Do private cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or, or some other private ones, do they not interfere or, or interfere with the Fed's plans for the central bank digital currency? Well, I think the, the key thing is, is that, you know, as, as the Federal Reserve wants to come out with with FedCoin or whatever they're going to call, you know, their, their digital asset, uh, that's all well and good. The biggest thing that we want to make sure up here on Capitol Hill on the Republican side of the aisle is that you do not disturb what Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the other cryptocurrencies have done and are doing. It's without question that there are people who have found, who have decided that these instruments have value. One of the key reasons they believe that they have value is because they can't literally uh, uh, just be um, just be manipulated the way, unfortunately, central banks do manipulate currencies. And so I think that it's something that is, is here to say we should make sure it's not eliminated, even though the Federal Reserve is going to make a decision on their own to come out with a Fed coin and go from there. What do you think the general feeling up on the Hill is? Because there are scams in crypto at the moment. It is a wild west, uh, I believe. A lot of people come on, even crypto fanatics tell us at the moment it's a wild west. But there's kind of the, the camp is split, whether it should be let the free market decide, educate the people on the, the legit coins and the legit coins, or the people who say, well, if you bring in the government, they regulate it, it may kind of protect consumers in a way. What do you think the general feeling on the Hill is? 
Well, I think first and foremost, government regulation uh, doesn't just purely protect consumers. There might be some of that on the fringes, uh, but what it mostly always does is it stifles innovation. First and foremost, that's what government regulation tends to do. I think that the discussions up here on Capitol Hill around cryptocurrencies and digital assets uh, and the blockchain right now is in a lot of just information sharing and actually learning about these about these assets and learning about this technology. There's a lot of members on the Hill that really don't know much about it. And so, you know, I'm very cautious that I don't think we should be regulating anything until the members really have a full understanding and, and get a real education on what's possible with respect to cryptocurrencies. So that's kind of what's happening right now, a lot of information gathering by members of Congress. I think you come from a pretty unique perspective on this as well. You're, you're up there on the Hill having your voice heard, but you come from a financial background as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. What role do you feel these coins and this technology is going to play in the financial system in the future? Oh, actually, I think it's going to be a big one, whether it's just, like, like I said in the beginning, whether it's just holding value, being a repository of value similar to gold or silver or something like that. I think, obviously, the technology is only going to get better with respect to it becoming a medium of transaction, meaning you can go buy a car, you can buy pizza. That kind of stuff is starting to happen now, but obviously it's not nearly as robust as somebody using a debit card or a credit card or the check system of moving checks through the banking system or even using cash, which even in some respects, there's portions of our economy where now cash is starting to come out of, of use and people are moving towards credit cards and, and, and technological transactions. So I think that the real future in the space is through, is through the transaction space where people can literally make those decisions without having to go through the Federal Reserve. I think it's something that's going to come and, and I think it's a good thing. There you go. The debate continues. Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks for having me. A new report is examining the relationship between certain American tech giants and China. It says at least three American corporations are supporting China's military modernization and state surveillance. Companies in question, Microsoft, Intel, and General Electric. The report raises concerns over the company's China partnerships since they're also major contractors for the U.S. Defense Department. The Fake Quarter has more. The report was co-authored by the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, a human rights organization based in Washington, D.C. Take GE, for example, it's a major contractor for the Pentagon. Meanwhile, it also has a joint venture with a Chinese firm called AVIC. AVIC, one of China's largest aerospace and defense companies, which has links to the Chinese military. That's according to the Pentagon. So what are the risks for this kind of partnership? The report says those ties give Chinese military-linked companies leverage over GE supply chains, which are critical for America's national security. Now to Intel. The American chip giant has worked with the Chinese government on surveillance technology. Intel and Dell maintain a joint lab with a Chinese state-backed research entity known for developing military surveillance technology. A 2019 Wall Street Journal report says Chinese authorities use Intel's technology to monitor people in Xinjiang. Also, Intel has been supplying another Chinese company, Hikvision, since the early 2000s. It's the world's largest maker of surveillance equipment. Now to Microsoft. The report says Microsoft is helping Chinese military-linked companies develop their technology. 
That's through its innovation hub in China, whose stated goal is to combine Microsoft's leading AI research results with the rich industry experience of member companies in China. Its members include China Telecom, which the Pentagon says is tied to the Chinese military. Microsoft has also made a custom version of its Windows 10 software exclusively for the Chinese regime. Microsoft says this version is government-approved and includes, quote, government-selected antivirus software. Anthony asked Intel, Microsoft, and GE for comment, but we haven't received a reply just yet. But still to come this evening, Samsung unveiling its newest devices today. What are they like and when can you order them? And McDonald's bringing back the fan favorite, the Shamrock Shake. When will it be available? That and more coming up on NTD Business. back. Samsung has revealed the next generation of its flagship smartphones, still gunning to overtake Apple. It says it's Galaxy S22 and S22 Plus and the S22 Ultra smartphones will all be 5G phones that feature camera upgrades, better battery life, and a variety of colors. The most expensive phone, the S22 Ultra, is similar to Samsung's reportedly discontinued Galaxy Note line. It even comes with the Note's signature built-in S Pen. The price for the S22 starts at $799, the Plus starts at $999, and the Ultra costs nearly $1,200. The devices are available for pre-orders right now. Samsung will start shipping them out February 25th. And out with the new, in with the old. It's almost that time of year again for the Shamrock Shake. McDonald's will start selling its minty St. Patrick's Day-themed milkshake February 21st, not too long. It's been a fan favorite since it debuted more than 50 years ago in 1970. Mickey D's is also bringing back the Oreo Shamrock McFlurry it first introduced just a couple of years ago in 2020. If you own a Hyundai or Kia, better listen up. Certain models are spontaneously catching fire. A recall has been issued for about 350,000 Hyundai Santa Fe and Tucson SUVs. Kia is recalling about 125,000 K900 sedans and Sportage SUVs. Dealers need to inspect the vehicles to see if they need any new parts at no extra cost to the owners. The problem is with the anti-lock brake computer control module. It can short-circuit, cause a fire. It's happened to at least three vehicles so far. Meantime, Hyundai and Kia are telling owners they can still continue to drive the vehicles, but to park outside and away from buildings. Check if your vehicle is involved in the recall. Contact a Kia dealer or the company's customer service department. 
Coming out of the pandemic, workers across America are rethinking their work and personal lives. And as part of that reassessment, some businesses are moving to a four-day work week to retain and recruit employees. Thiddy's Andrew Thomas has more. Seattle-based Volt Athletics develops exercise software and workout apps. The company moved to a four-day work week almost two years ago. Sarah Ray is Volt's head of business development. She says she no longer experiences the anxiety she used to feel on Sundays. I love the four-day work week because my weekends actually feel restorative. Uh, I have a day dedicated to errands. I have a couple of days dedicated to family and relaxation without the stress of chores hanging over my head. Ray says the extended weekend also allows her more time to spend with her family, including her nine-month-old son. The four-day work week has been amazing for my ability to be a new mom. Um, my son is nine months old, and I really don't think if I was working five days a week, I could have as high quality of life as I do right now. San Francisco e-commerce company Bolt made the switch to a four-day work week in October of last year. Jennifer Christie, chief people officer at Bolt, says within a month, the tech company saw a surge in productivity. It's not about trying to reduce five days into four. It really is about working differently. So how can we focus on the most important things and how can we cut out things that are, are taking up time that, that just waste our energy and waste our, waste our time that we could be focused on something more important. Bolt software engineer Sarah Yang says the three-day weekend allows her to feel more energized at work. Coming back on Monday, I definitely feel like a lot more refreshed. I think, um, yeah, honestly, the difference between a two and three day weekend is like pretty significant to me. Having like a three day weekend feels a lot more of like a reset versus like before having a two day weekend was kind of just like, wow, the weekend's already over. I'm going back to work. And this is not to say to help encourage businesses work. to make the switch, uh, California Congressman Mark Takano has proposed a new labor law that would require overtime pay to kick in after 32 hours a week. Andrew Thomas. NTD News. Would you like to only see NTD business four days a week? This the latest business updates for today. You can still catch NTD evening news with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. NTD business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.